Ladies and gentlemen, citizens of the universe, fantasy footballers, Dynasty League dirtballs, NFL draft fans, and DFS degenerates worldwide, this is the Roster Watch Podcast, presented by RosterWatch.com. Roster Watch Nation, prepare for pop, flash, and sizzle. Prepare for knowledge bombs and cockamamie business. The Roster Watch crew is here to deliver the goods you can't find anywhere else. Here is your host, RosterWatch.com Editor-in-Chief, Alex Dunlap. Ladies and gentlemen, Roster Watch Nation, welcome back to the epic Roster Watch podcast brought to you by RosterWatch.com. My name is Alex Dunlap. I am joined today by Byron Lambert. And first, we apologize. It's been almost two weeks since the last podcast. We like to get two up per week. It's been a super busy time with Byron dealing with. Uh, a few issues of his own uh, pertaining to his uh, personal life and family. Also, we've just been to a bunch of pro days. Byron last week uh, out at USC, this week at SMU. We've had Trash Man at uh, Texas A&M. I was handling the Texas pro day, so just a lot of moving parts, a lot of us kind of moving around. It's been a really busy time. Plus, this is a week where I closed on a new home. So it's just <laughs> Byron has a house that he's selling that's under contract. So it's been super, super busy. But we wanted to definitely get a podcast up today, recap some of this pro day stuff, and also get to some of your listener questions that we solicited on Twitter. There's a whole grip of them to get to before we get started. Just a reminder. We ask you guys every week to please go and rate and review the podcast in iTunes. I have looked and there has not been a new review in iTunes since the end of January. So if you guys want us to keep doing these, if you like the off-season podcasts, this is something that takes away from our time to be able to put the premium content up on our site for our pro members. So if you guys aren't pro members, please go and get a pro membership at rosterwatch.com. But if you want this podcast to continue at the frequency that you want it, which you tell us online is two times a week, it's very simple. Just go give us a rating and a review in iTunes. And if we see those ratings and reviews in iTunes continue to go up, the frequency of these podcasts will go up. If they don't continue to go up, the frequency of the podcasts won't go up. So just a, just a reminder there. The more you rate and review the pod, the more we will give uh, this podcast to you. Byron, with that said, what the hell's going on, brother? Man, just staying busy, getting ready to... This weekend, I am going to finalize my quarterback evaluation. So I'm looking forward to that over the next few days. And as you mentioned, I was at... USC Pro Day and at SMU Pro Day over the last couple of weeks. So been busy with those kind of things. And uh, that's pretty much it, man. A whole, whole grip of stuff going on, man. You sound like you're about to fucking fall asleep. <laughs> been busy times, man. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. You got to put the audience to put the audience to bed. All right. So um, let's start out with Trash Man. He went... We don't have him here on the pod, but he went to AM Pro Day. Actually did good work getting a bunch of uh, video and some audio clips and some stuff for all the Roster Watch Nation there in the uh, in the Pro Day raw footage library. Now, if you go to the Roster Watch Pro Day live footage library, you'll get to see Johnny Football 
throwing at two separate pro days. The first, of course, Mike Evans' pro day that you can go back and watch, and also now Christian Kirk. And uh, Trashman was able to grab Christian Kirk for a quick question. I'm sure it was... Uh, I'm sure it was something that he thought a long and hard about what question he was going to ask the guy. But let's just drop the audio right here. He asked Christian Kirk who he compared himself to as far as an NFL player. Russ Watts is trash man here with Christian Kirk. Christian, is there a player already in the league that you should try to model your game after? Uh, there's, you know, quite a few. Um, Antonio Brown, uh, Odell Beckham, Golden Tate, you know, guys like that. Guys are kind of the same stature as me and um, definitely try to watch them and, you know, pick up whatever I can. Well, there you go. And, you know, when you look at Christian Kirk, he does have some, I mean, some Odell Beckham to his game, maybe a little Antonio Brown to his game. Certainly pretty lofty comparisons for people to compare yourself to as a guy coming out. But look, Christian Kirk looks every bit the part of an electric, elite uh, s- slot wide receiver at the NFL level. He can um, he can get in and out of his routes. He is quick as a hiccup uh, with his with his uh, with his moves at the transition point in his route stems, he's a guy that when you give him an option route against any of these uh, any of these slot corners, even in a even in a conference like the SEC, he's he's going to get open. That's just what he does. He shows a lot more polish than a lot of these dudes coming out. And I'd like to look and see, Byron. Have you do you remember what you thought about Christian Kirk from the combine? Because I'd like to look at our oh, school yeah. Chris, card. Oh, yeah. Christian to- Kirk was one of the guys that graded most consistently for me across the board, which really reconciles with his game and his college film. So that was something I truly liked to see. He was he was kind of at the top, towards the top of the heap for me. He's a player I've always admired. And, you know, I don't think that there's no clear-cut top-end just alpha talent in this wide receiver group. But there's a strong argument to be made that there's – quite the depth of compelling talent and prospects out there and Christian Kirk's right on the on the top of that list I see him as a real I think he could do more than be a slot receiver in the NFL uh certainly a player you're going to be able to move around I know we've talked Golden Tate comps with him before I think those are good comps and you know he's a player that I really expect to go pretty early on day two and I guess wouldn't be shocked if he snuck into uh, the end of round one I'm looking at our pro download section. I just downloaded the 2018 Combine uh, on-field performance scorecard for the wide receivers, and it's true. Christian Kirk, our fifth highest-rated wide receiver on the day as far as his on-field drills. And I always like to see which drills he ranked highest in, and it looks like for Christian Kirk, like like you said, Byron, just very consistent. The only The only drill that he was super, super high on um, was the gauntlet, and that show. I think that that shows a lot about his body control, his ability to adjust to a football, his ability to go out and snatch it. All things that we've certainly seen uh, on tape. There's also um, he scored higher than I would generally think of a wide receiver like him on the go route. So uh, just very interesting to see there. I think he has a kind of an, ecle- an eclectic mix of wide receiver skills as far as from a, from an on-field tool bag, but just from a physical tool bag, just a super, super athletic kid, always has been. As Byron said, he broke out with flash plays at a very young age. Uh, Trashman was actually able to get Mike Evans, who was in attendance at the Pro Day, 
this is Trash Man asking Mike Evans about who he compared Christian Kirk to. All right, this is the Ross to Watch Trash Man here with Mike Evans at Texas A&M Pro Day 2018. Mike, how's the offseason going for you? It's going awesome. <laughs> <laughs> As expected, Christian Kirk, he's a, quarter, he's a run, after wide receiver here, working out. Expected to go pretty high in the draft. Yeah. What, what can you say about Christian? Um, I can say what everybody else says. He's a great player, and he deserves to be a first-round pick. And, um, you know, whatever team gets him is going to get a really good player, a dynamic player who can run after catch, return punts, uh, has a lot of juice, just uh, the running back type body as well, um, very physical. Uh, just getting a good player. Yeah, watching his tape and just watching him run, Reminds me a little bit of Steve Smith. Do you see any of that comparison? I, that's an awesome comparison. Uh, I was thinking like his freshman year. I was thinking like Odell type, but Odell's a little like skinnier, longer body, and like you know, longer arms, big more hands, like outside <laughs> receiver. Yeah, big hands, big catch radius. But yeah, after the catch, he's like Odell, but he, he's like mean like Steve Smith too. So I, I think the Steve Smith comparison is great. Yeah, I saw some of that dog in him running around. Yeah. Goddamn trash, man. He's always running around, making friends in the most random places. Took a bunch of photos with Mike Evans. <laughs> I mean, what the, what, the, what the hell do we send him places for, Byron? Well, he's, he's got to make himself good for something. He's carved a little niche here. <laughs> he started to, get, started to get pretty good at uh, going out and getting Buttering these, these roster watch IDs. Yeah, it's like you said, we won't be surprised <laughs> to see those guys in their smoking jackets at the jazz bar late later tonight, somewhere unexpected. Oh yeah. We know that. And, 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 you know, trash man, we giving them all the fashion tips. Let me ask you, what do you think about what trash Mike Evans actually likes trash man's comparisons better than his own because Mike Evans said, look, he, Mike Evans thinks that Christian Kirk is sick. And to me, that sort of says something. Um, Mike Evans says he th he's always thought he's an Odo Beckham Jr., but after hearing the trash man say that he thought he was a Steve Smith, Mike Evans thought that that might be a better comparison. What are your thoughts? I mean, those are pretty big names we're throwing around there. I mean, look, I, I like Christian Kirk ever since the first time I ever saw him play. So, I mean, generally those players, they go way back on my radar, though a lot of times those end up being the guys that turn out to be pretty damn good. So, hey, I'm, I love to hear what Mike Evans has to say, and I know that this offseason is the most work that the Trash Man's ever done. So right. I, I, I would have to say I have the most faith in his evaluations to date as well. Uh, seriously, though, I, I, I think those are two pretty good comps on the high end. You start mixing in names like – Golden Tate and Jarvis Landry, even on the you know more, yeah, more uh, down to earth side of things, and that's a pretty damn good list of comps. So you know if that's the case, and he sneaks in the late first round because there's no clear top end talent in this draft. I mean, I told you as of now, it's still going to be a few weeks until my wide receiver rankings go final. But the the two guys I'm most comfortable with right now it remains to be seen what their final ranking will be for me. But the two guys I'm most comfortable with are Christian Kirk and James Washington. And that's still with a whole lot that uh, a lot of meat left on the wide receiver uh, evaluation bone for me. But uh, those are two guys I feel really comfortable with that are, are going to contribute in the NFL. 
Well, that brings us to the, I mean, I think that that segues well into the Cortland Sutton discussion because, I mean, when we start talking about a top five, you know, group of wide receivers, I think that we're going to have to consider James Washington. We're going to have to consider um, Christian Kirk. I think we're going to have to, you know, Calvin Ridley is going to have to be considered even though his, you know, his measurables from the combine were just so miserable and didn't jive at all with the way that his game looked on film at Alabama. Uh, DJ Moore with the college production is going to have to be considered, especially given his size and his speed. Um, and then Cortland Sutton, guys like Cortland Sutton, Equinemia St. Brown, some of these dudes, like uh, some people have these guys as top five, top three, even top two kinds of players. Where are we on Cortland Sutton? It was the SMU Pro Day with Cortland Sutton and Trey Quinn. Trey Quinn, of course, was our best on-field performer from the 2018 uh, NFL Combine from our viewing angle inside of Lucas Oil where we grade every single rep by every single one of these players during their routes. Trey Quinn was absolutely elite. To me, he looks like a rich man's Ryan Switzer, a very rich man's Cole Beasley or uh, Trent Taylor. I think I might even like him better than those guys after I've kind of done some digging in and watching a little more of his film. Maybe not more than Trent Taylor, but I, you know, kind of right in there. Um, just, but let's let's just start with Cortland Sutton. Just, can you talk about him? Yeah. So, what's the one thing I've been saying that I've learned most about evaluating the wide receiver position as I've grown into my role in this industry, Alex? I mean, do you, do you remember talking about this? I mean, I'll, I'll go ahead and just, just say it. Is that you're becoming less you're becoming less and less tolerant of bullshit. <laughs> Definitely less tolerant and more more of a curmudgeon when I'm grading these guys. But, um, you know, it's just the number one thing for me when I'm evaluating a wide receiver is just become clearer and clearer over the years is I'm looking for a technician. It's just what I'm looking for. I love the beastly athletes. That that doesn't that doesn't that doesn't do it in the NFL. First and foremost, you've got to be a technician. So. There's a lot to like about Cortland Sutton. There really is. We said he had a body type at the combine. I saw him before he walked up to do the bench press. Remind me a lot of a Corey Davis body type. He sat on that. I think it was four five five. He ran on the combine. He was happy with his numbers. He sat on that uh, at SMU Pro Day. As a matter of fact, I, Corey Davis never ran, but I know people thought he would probably end up around four five or kind of the, some of the pro projections. So don't think that that's a way off target. Uh, comp in terms of skill set and body type. Um, I, what I saw with a guy in Cortland Sutton is a guy who likes to get out and run and get downfield and use his size and and relative speed to 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 play the position. Um, you know, our concerns at the Combine, Alex, just thinking back, I'm sure you can verify this looking at the sheet, but I, I remember this specifically, is that Cortland Sutton had a pretty decent day on my scorecard out there, which was nice to see. My concern was that he really struggled on the out pattern. The, terribly. I'm looking at it right now, and he was the worst and of anybody. So, on a, on a five-point five scale, he's, 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 he scored a 1.5. For his cumulative out route patterns. So that's a good memory. Yeah, and so prior to really breaking down the film at SMU, which I still have a lot to do for Cortland Sutton in the coming weeks, you know, my 
my assumption, maybe my presumption was that that means that Cortland Sutton probably didn't run a lot of out routes in the SMU offense. And that's just a real, you know, that's a key. That's just, that's, that's, that's very representative of the NFL version of some of these routes you're going to be asked to run. So it's an important one in there. Like that's a, that's a, that's an important one to, to like that one in the quick slant, I think. Or the or the or the couple of the most important to, to to just to show what for one whether these guys are technical enough to make it happen and then for two just if they're a little if they're a little bit lumbering in those if they're these tall guys that are a little bit off balance and a little bit lumbering and that's kind of the way that I've seen Cortland Sutton and I see the trash man does, you know trash man has Cortland Sutton as far as pure tra- traits perspective currently is his wide receiver thirteen of course you know these rankings aren't finished yet but. Uh, trash man, not completely enamored with him. The name that I came up with whenever I was doing the evaluation work on him, I know some people like to compare him to a Mike Evans. I think he's skinnier than Mike Evans. I, th- he kind of like whenever you look at him, he really reminds me a lot coming out of Kenny Galladay. You know, a guy that can go up and get it, a guy that's not polished as a route runner, a guy that's a little bit more skinny but maybe has the frame to kind of be tall and beastly. But I'm just not sure if coming in in year one. He's going to have any sort of impact, and I feel like that this is what whole wide receiver class in general in 2018. You can pick holes, and you know every single one of these guys. But you know, I just I, th- I think with Cortland Sutton, we're dealing with somebody much more on the on the Kenny Galladay side of the equation than the Mike Evans or the Sammy Watkins or you know that kind of player coming out. Yeah, well, when I got to pro day yesterday, you know, I always like to hound dog around with some of the folks on the local beat. Well, how did he? How did he look in general be, before you you say what they said? What was your takeaway from his actual reps? Well, can I just let me just take you through the pro day because it all makes sense. I think on the heels of, on right. the, on the heels of the takeaways from the combine, and you just alluded to some of what we were texting about yesterday. So, you know, the folks I spoke to said they they love you know they said first of all Cortland Sutton is a guy that everybody loves. He says they said that he knows. He goes up no matter who you are. He goes up to everybody on campus, wants to know your name, introduce himself, and it's not in like any kind of big-timey kind of way. So he's this big, fun-loving kind of guy, right? Well, <clears throat> that's on the personality side. On the football field, what I was told was that he's a, he's a super freak and a beast out there, but there's real concerns even from folks who cover you know the SMU beat that he is a very inexperienced and raw route runner. So that was my first light bulb on aha moment. And I, the first thing I thought about was the out route at the combine. And so we went out there, Jason Garrett of the Dallas Cowboys head, head coach of the Dallas Cowboys was running the wide receiver drills. And I have never in my life seen so much instruction on route running during a, a pro day in wide receiver drills ever before in my life. And Jason Garrett was really focused in on working primarily with Cortland Sutton. So he was having to, he had to redo quite a few reps. They were always coming up to him after every single rep and kind of talking to him about what he should have done better or how he could have done. And then he'd peel off a, a couple good reps here and there. And I know Jason Garrett made the comment kind of out loud that he was a long strider and Coincidentally enough, he ran a ton of out routes yesterday. And I even heard a scout mention that on the sidelines. Oh, he really is. They're running him on a lot of out routes today. So once again, I kind of had this aha 
you know, moment. And yeah, I mean, what you, he made some beastly plays. I went back and watched every clip. I mean, the guy, if he's getting across the field and running and extending and catching footballs against no defenders, you know, it's like you said, it's like Laquan Treadwell. He looked good doing that at, at, at pro day too. Um, but I just saw a guy who's very, not just raw, but like a novice, just early in his education of running routes. You saw he didn't know how to break down. He slipped a bunch of times when he was trying to break down. Uh, you know, and, and and there's a reason that they run the out and the slant at the combine because those are those are the two primary angles that, you know, whatever whatever extension of those routes or double moves from those routes, I mean, those are the two primary angles that these guys need to show that they can they can hit. And so, yeah, I, you know, I, I am concerned that Cortland Sutton is not yet a technician. And I just believe, as you said, to contribute in year one, that's a prerequisite. Uh, so yeah, I, 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 and, you know, in terms of body type, I see a Corey Davis body type. I see a Josh Doxson body type. I see a little bit of an AJ green body type. I mean, he's got the mouth watering skills. If he can develop, I'm just hesitant uh, that it, it um it may take some time. I like the Josh. I, I kind of like the Josh Doxson one too, but I just thought the Josh Doxson coming out is from a route running perspective, much cleaner. You know, much cleaner than Cortland Sutton. And and, and I don't know. I I think that Trash Man's Trash Man's comp in here and his trait matrix is Mike Evans. I just I don't necessarily see that quite as much. What do you think about a Mike Evans comp? It just doesn't. Yeah, it's an. It, that's it just doesn't it, ring true at all. It's trashy. <laughs> what about Trey Quinn? Did did he continue to look good? Yeah. So Trey Quinn's got a cool story. You may know about it by now, but Trey Quinn. Um, so he's quite the opposite, and it was evident when he had media availability uh, post session. Uh, he's an introvert. So the book on Trey Quinn is that he comes to practice, he goes to practice, leaves practice, and goes home. So the deal with Trey Quinn is he was the all-time leading high school wide receiver in, in high school history in the United States of America, coming out of some high school in Louisiana. I got the notes in my phone. I'll have to check for the particulars. Yeah. He was highly recruited by LSU. He was the last, I believe it, he was the last true freshman to start for LSU, like right off the bat. And he had a falling out with Les Miles, lost his zest for football, quit, transferred, ended up at SMU. This was the only year he played. They said he absolutely destroyed it. So, you know, we've been around the Ryan Switchers and the and the Cole Beasleys and the uh, Trent Taylors. And, I mean, Trey Quinn is a – I don't – I'd have to look up Cole Beasley's measurements, but Trey Quinn is definitely a – a bigger dude than Ryan Switzer and certainly a much bigger dude than Trent Taylor. I mean, similar builds, but just a bigger version of it. He's about 200 pounds. The guy is swole up, big shoulders, big arms, thick thighs, hips. Uh, you know, the coaches were talking about how thick his butt was and everything. And so uh, they, he had a monster year at SMU. They, they were just, they, it, was a, it was a monster. They were just, yeah, it was, uh, it was, um, 
If you just look at it from a market share perspective, uh, Trey Quinn, 114 receptions. That was 40% of the total market share of the 283 total team receptions. Uh, 1,236 yards. That was 32% of the uh, market share for receiving yards. He also had 13 touchdowns, which was 37% of the touchdowns. So Trey Quinn, it's looking more and more to me like Trey Quinn's a guy who with a current dynasty ADP in what, probably the third round or something like that of rookie drafts, we're going to be getting a lot of Trey Quinn. <laughs> like I really like him. I think he. I think he's going to. I think he's like as as Byron's saying. Well, I interviewed him at the uh, at the combine, and when you sit next to him, he is a little bit bigger than you would think. I'm trying to pull up his measurables right now. Yeah. Okay. Let me get the combine sheet pulled cool. up. Um, it is Quinn Q Q. Does Q come after here? Here is Q. Trey Quinn, yeah, I mean he's he's five eleven and three eighths, and he's two hundred and three pounds, and he has big ten and an eighth inch. Dude, he's hands. a he's a big fucking boy, man. And you you wouldn't want you wouldn't uh, want to wrestle with that guy. You wouldn't want to wrestle with him. 17, 17 reps on the bench. He's pretty big and strong, and he's got real, real, real big hands. He's kind of a big. He's a bigger dude than you would think, man. For real. Yeah, and so he so is. what the SMU insiders told me was that they thought he had every bit had as good of hands as Cole Beasley. And if you go watch the Pro Day video, you'll see he catches the ball strong out in front of him and with with, with hands catches. Um, and they said they think he compares favorably to Beasley. The one question mark is he's probably not as quick as Cole Beasley. And how will that play out in the NFL? Because as you've seen, you know, even with a Trent Taylor being quicker than a hiccup, that quickness really matters in that role. So that, that that's something to watch with Trey Quinn. But nevertheless, a guy that we've had uh, real good exposure to so, so far throughout the process. And I don't think he's on most folks' radars, and he probably should be. Well, I mean, I just when I when I think of quick, quickness, I just I think about the. Um... I think about the five ten five or yeah the five ten the 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 short shuttle the twenty yard shuttle he he ran a four one nine in that recent historical yeah average. And he ran he ran four two I had him at four two yesterday at pro day so it was this yeah back to back did you get a did you get a three cone on him I don't think I got Do a, you I can't remember if I got I know I got a forty on him I had him at four five five I heard another scout say four six and then I talked to folks that with SMU that said he was you know, four four nine or su- definitely sub four five. Like heading into LSU, you know, those are some home cooked times. But I, I, I think he's definitely a sub four six player, which is plenty, plenty good. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, four four five five at the combine. So yeah, he definitely is. And then his three cone is right with it. Recent historical average, if we go by the combine, one six point nine one. Recent historical positional average is six point nine. So I think he has the quickness. He's 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 plenty he's plenty big got huge hands so yeah I love I I I love Trey Quinn. Well, I'll say this um, too, and I mean maybe he was a little bit less of the focus of the pro day, but Trey Quinn certainly got much less instruction throughout those drills than Cortland Sutton, and he got at least as many pats on the back, if not more, for you know good good routes and good reps. You got anything else on SMU pro day before we move on to some of these Twitter questions from our followers at Roster Watch? No, I think that's without, like you said, we don't want to put these folks to sleep. So I won't go deep into into into, <laughs> into, into the SMU quarterback who's returning and trying to get a second shot, a second look because of a blown ACL. We won't get into all that, man. All right. Well, yeah, that's that sounds good to me. All right, so here we go. We, it looks like we have about 
25 responses to our initial one. Our boy Steve at Von Ironcock. So I guess that's Baron Von Ironcock from over on the website. Uh, he says, I don't, he says, one, don't apologize for doing what we pay you to do for us ever. But I do miss the sweet sounds of unfiltered radio watch watch gold. Well, that's not a question. He's saying that we apologize because we've been a we've we've been at pro days. We haven't got any podcasts up, so we appreciate that, Baron Von Ironcock. All right, um, here's the next one. Which this comes from at Matt B from CA. Which NFL team might still trade up to get a quarterback? Arizona, Miami, Buffalo, other. Do you see any any teams? Trading up, it seems like Buffalo certainly positioned. I mean, Buffalo's too. already traded up, right? Well, yeah, but <laughs> I think they've already I, traded. I, mean, they I think they've already traded up for a quarterback. But yeah, and we'll see if they're have. Well, who who are they going to? I mean, who are they? They've they've traded up to what twelve? I mean, I like. I think that they've kind of positioned themselves to possibly trade up more, unless I mean, unless they think that somebody's going to fall to them, like maybe, or if they want to maybe reach on a Lamar Jackson or some kind of Mason Rudolph or pull off something woolly like that. I guess um, I don't know, man. Like, I mean, four quarterbacks going in the top eleven picks. I'm, I would I would have to imagine would be pretty damn close to historic. So I think the Bills are figuring there's a pretty good shot historically that. One of their guys is going to be there, maybe maybe Lamar Jackson. But you're right; they've positioned themselves for another trade up. I, I just thought it's funny they they actually already, I believe, have traded up for a quarterback, which certainly could happen. Arizona and Miami are two prime targets. I mean, Steve Kime, you wonder when his situation with his roster purge is this the time to go ahead and trade valuable and important draft picks? You know, I I, I see the Cardinals as one of the teams that might wait and take a Lamar Jackson. I mean, you could see that you could you could see it, or just I mean, maybe think that they hopefully have it this for for this year, and maybe I don't know. I, it's hard I, to they, see a move up. They, they, they can't. Think he's of, not. They're know, not going to be good this year, and he knows it. So they're going to get another crack at this thing next year, probably maybe the next couple of years. If Steve Kime is a good general manager, I think he either sits tight or only makes a really, really smart move on a player who maybe slides, you know, something along that line. But if you have to imagine if Lamar Jackson is there when the Cardinals are on the clock, that this seems like seems like they might have to consider this. The Cardinals, I guess what they're picking at fifteen, the Bills, uh they have they have the pick at um have the pick at twelve. Trying to think of any of these others that might have kind of some sneaky quarterback need. I mean, Miami, really Miami, wanna... I mean, are they going to, you know, are they going to trade up? I think they're going to, I think they're going to sit tight with their sit contract on 11. Tannehill and just see what happens. There's if, if, if there's a quarterback there, I mean, definitely think he's in play in Miami, but if Baker Mayfield falls to 11, he's a, he's a Miami dolphin, yeah, put that smiling dolphin on the side of yeah, his helmet and get him I out think there. That's an insta call dude. Baker Mayfield. I think yeah. is going to be sick. Do you think do do you think that Baker Mayfield as of as of right now is still going top five? You know, there's always some surprises, right? Always some surprises, right? We and we I thought just, we, I don't we think, thought top I, five because that was to to the Broncos, and then and then who was behind him? The Jets, who have since uh, traded up, so it's the Colts at six, so it would still have to be top five. Baker Mayfield. It's starting to feel a little more questionable, but he 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 should. He absolutely should. He should. It, even though it feels like a 50-50, he should. 
Okay, let's go to the next question here. This is another one from Matt B. from CA. It, and all these tweets came to us at Roster Watch, where you can give us a follow. After you've given us a good rating and a review on iTunes, we love you guys. Show us a little bit of love back. The more ratings and reviews that we get on iTunes, or I'm sorry, on Apple Podcasts, as it's called now, the more we will put this podcast up for you. Um, is, is, is a 7 and 7 an old man drink? Thoughts? I guess that's a Seagram 7 and 7 up. I'd have to lean sort towards saying definitely yes. I yeah, I mean I'm. How can you? I can't remember the last time that I had. Imagine one. swishing, or what you're doing is you're swishing around that syrupy, sugary film from the Seven Up, and even from the Seagram Seven in your mouth that goes all across your teeth, and then has a little bit of that caramel stain to it. That's no good, man. You can't <laughs> you can't have that much sugar in your in your drinks. But th- what? It could be oh, an well, old that's man. the thing, man. People. People around here know, man. I, I I drink tequila, straight, and I'll drink wine and I'll drink you know beer, but I don't do this shit anymore with like a Jack and Coke or a rum and Coke or a seven. Like I just don't drink sodas. I just, it's 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 diabetes in a can. Alex, what did you use? <laughs> it's, it's, it's 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 like the one thing that you can really cut out. To really improve your health and your life is just sodas, and it's not that hard. I can't hard. believe it. Some people just drink those things like it's their water. It's their liquid for the day. It's just hard, hard to I believe. Mean, and you can you can do it. I mean, there have been times in my life, like when I, like when I was younger, I don't drink coffee, so I would get up in the morning and drink a Dr. Pepper, you know, like a Dr. Pepper on ice, like a fountain drink. But I just, you know, as I've gotten older and had kids and studied kind of what sugar does to you, like my kids, like I, my daughter has never tasted a soda yet. She's three and a half years old. Yeah, you, She's had lemonade. You got to raise your kids like to just get used to drinking water when they're thirsty. Right. What that she is the, the, the only time she's ever had even apple juice or orange juice or stuff like that is when her grandma spoils her. She's that we, we don't have that stuff around what? here. You get water, you get your, or you get milk or if it's a special occasion, and we're going to Chick-fil-A. You can have some lemonade. Hey, back when you were a local celebrity, what was it you were fam- famous for ordering? What, what was it, a snake bite? Uh, dude, I was too drunk. I have no idea what the hell I was famous for ordering back then. What is a snake bite? I forgot. Is well, that a beer it's, it's drink? It's kind of like a, a black and tan. What, so is, it, I think it's a cider and a beer. Oh, no, yeah. The, a, a cider with Guinness? Yeah, I, I can still get behind that. I, I still kind of like an apple cider. And that's much better than a than a black. I just thing. always thought it was the funniest because it was called a snake bite. Yeah, it's pretty pretty pretty, pretty crazy. All right, here comes another question from uh, Baron von von Ironcock. Um, seriously, what is the deal with the trash man? How does he live? How does he eat? Does he actually have an income, a vehicle, and an education? He's picturing him as the Raffi character from the league, and it looks like this Raffi character is a man of. Um, you know, Persian, Middle Eastern descent with uh, a big, um, like beard. So, what do you think? What's the deal with the trash man? How does he live? How does he eat? I'll tell you this: he 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 eats very well because he, pe- people give him free shit everywhere he goes. It's the damnedest thing you'd ever believe in. People think it's a bit. It's not a bit. Um, a vehicle. I think right now he does have a vehicle. He certainly has an, an education. He's a lifetime student. Um, what is, does Trashman have a PhD yet, or did he give up on that? Man, I still haven't figured out what the hell's going on with the Trashman or how he gets by in this world. 
After, after all these years, either. I just I don't, don't really, really, I don't really ask questions. I've never completely figured out how he survives. If I had to surmise, he kind of—he's got some income from yeah, roster one. He like he has a lot you know, of communal uh, type setups, and where there's shared, shared, <laughs> shared benefits from you know, shared inputs. Yeah, and uh, yeah. you know, he had that one—he had that one car for about almost twenty years. Uh, and then I think he, I yeah, think that, I, I'm not sure that one he's driving now is his or whether it's like one of his many roommates or what it is. I um, think, you know what I think the but, trash man does is he scrapes along on his, some of his, uh, yeah, on, on <laughs> he, I can't believe how much we pay the trash man. I think he scrapes by on, on that. And, <laughs> and then he, thanks to roster. He, he still plays occasional, <laughs> yeah contracts music uh, gigs. music gigs yeah, music gigs and then he teaches at the yeah he teaches he at the teaching. all black college in austin in east austin like yeah the uh the um the historically black university that we have here called was it houston tillotson yeah houston it's tillotson. like uh yeah so it's like uh it's in it's sort of a um one of those like HBCUs, but it's not like a thought of one that's very good. I don't think like a like some of the uh, like some of the others like a Grambling or something like that. But we have that here in town. So he, t I think he like TAs for one of those as he continues with his lifetime uh, in education. I, I mean, I don't know if he has. A, I think, but I, I think he, he certainly has an education. I think he at least has a has a master's. I'm, I think it's in. I'm not quite sure that um, the PhD ever fully materialized. No, I don't think it got, yeah, I don't think it ever came, it, it, it came to be. Okay. This one from our guy, uh, Kip C on Twitter at, at bomb is hog, bomb is hog or bomb is hog. Sorry, brother. I wish I knew just Kip, Kip C on Twitter. Favorite places to go for NFL preseason camps and college pro days. Aside from being at the ones close to home. What do you think? What are your favorite? Uh, what are your? I mean, as far as pro days, we just we generally just go to the ones that we need to go to and have a good time and kind of finding new places in America that we typically wouldn't. As far as the camps, you've been to a ton of them. I've been to not as many as you, but I've been to a bunch of them too. Uh, any of the kind of, you know, any that you can think of, Byron that you like more than others as far as locale and just kind of being around? Oh, my favorite pro days and my locations and my favorite training camp locations. Yeah. Training camps and pro day locations, man. I really do like LSU pro day. That's that one mean does mean a lot to me. It's, uh, it's always fun to go to the casino down there. You get to crush some real nice Louisiana oysters right in that area. And, I mean, we—it's just been too sick. It's been Leonard Fournette and Odell Beckham and Darius guys. You know, is going to be working out this year. I just feel like every time I leave LSU, we—it's just some kind of future Pro Bowlers coming out of that place, and it's a location that I happen to really enjoy going to. That's uh, it's, it's a, and it, you know what the LSU campus is. Uh, it's yeah, kind of it fairly un kind under of the fun. radar, it's under the radar, beautiful. And and speaking of, I got to tell you, man, you know, that USC campus, it reminds me a lot of the Texas campus. It really, really does. But it is so much fucking nicer. And it's mint. I mean, it's up to date and clean and nice. That USC campus was really, 
unbelievable. And I can see it'd be really enticing to be a big man on campus around there. Is it is it true that it's right in the middle of a, of a bad neighborhood like Watts or Compton or something? So I've always heard that. Like it's kind yeah, of surrounded the, by a little bit of a sketchy neighborhood. Yeah, it's. I think it's a little more on the on the east side of things, a little closer to that. But I don't know. When you're in L.A., I feel like it's being in Houston or something. You're just always driving through stuff that looks a little run down, mixed commercial residential use. It seems feels like it's everywhere once you're just a few minutes in from the coast. So. I just felt like I drove through a bunch of that, but yeah, it's, 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 um, I think it's a little less desirable surroundings. All right, let's see. Here's the next one from another one from Matt B from CA. Why wouldn't Cleveland go QB at number one, then OL or Chubb at four, and then get a running back in round two or three, assuming that the Giants grab a quarterback and not Barkley. It seems to be a pretty rich running back draft. Well, I'll answer that. Like, why not go? I don't think that there's an offensive lineman in this. I think that people have probably been sleeping on this uh, offensive line class. But I'm not sure that Quentin Nelson fits the need that these guys are looking for to to replace a Joe Thomas. I think that that's a good – I know some people think Quentin Nelson can play tackle. I, I just – you know, you, you'd think that they would want to draft somebody that – might has the more of the look of a true kind of future cornerstone tackle there, and I just don't see one of them going at number four. Even though, I mean, I think people have been sleeping on these guys. I think they've been sleeping somewhat on McGlinchey, and I certainly think that Connor Williams have been slept on a little bit with the versatility that he brings to play either guard or tackle. Uh, but I think they could certainly take Chubb there at 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 four, and then get a running back in round two. Like, if dude, if you could come out of this thing with Darnold. And then Chubb at four, which I'm not sure he's going to be there. At four. Maybe he could be there at four. It just seems like I don't think Gettleman's going to draft a quarterback, but he but he might. I think Gettleman's going to going to going to draft Chubb. But who knows? He maybe Gettleman could draft Saquon Barkley. Um, so if but let's just say Chubb's there at four. If you could go Darnold, Chubb, and then start out the second round with a Darius Geis. I don't know if Geis is going to fall that far, but maybe a Sony Michelle, maybe a Nick Chubb, something like that. I think that that yeah, it and it really is. It is a very running back rich draft, and I think that the outline that he kind of laid out there is perfectly acceptable. Except I just I don't see them going offensive line there at four. When you can't forget who is it, Jonathan Stewart that they brought into New York. So they've got a few guys on the roster still with Wayne Gallman and Paul Perkins <laughs> yeah. hasn't been cut yet. Yeah. So uh, to me, the Giants just, they have a bouquet of options there. And I'm I'm excited to see what Gettleman does because it's going to teach us a lot about him. This next one comes from at Real Mike Zardis. Michael Zardis, he says, looking into the future, a bunch of trash man questions. Looking into the future, what's 50-year-old trash man doing? You want to go first on that? Probably sailing on some ship on the backs of Roster Watch Nation. <laughs> I think so too, man. Like, I think any cash that he makes is going to have to do with our success here with, with Roster Watch. Um, so we continue to keep growing and we continue to keep building and um, we continue... We at least we plan to, you know, continue to have Roster Watch Nation growing and getting better and better and better, making more and more cash in fantasy DFS. Uh, 
And yeah, I, I would guess that you know he really doesn't need much to get by. I think that even if we don't make the cash that I'd like to make with this company, I think it'll be enough for him to at least put away and be able to live in some kind of low, uh, you know, low cost of living sort of island um, <laughs> like type of atmosphere, you know. And yeah, maybe have some dinky boat that he puts around on and goes around kind of begging people for food or, you know, catching his own, you know, fish to eat and stuff like that. I could totally see him doing something like that at age 50. Or who knows, maybe he could still be going for his PhD. He certainly knows how to stretch a dollar. Another one from Matt B. from CA. Red wine or white wine? Byron? Well, Alex is the resident wine expert here but and he's always told me that you fall in love with the red wines but the real connoisseurs tell you that you've uh, risen to the next level once your palate turns over to make you a man of the white wines that still has not has happened for me i've learned to enjoy them a little bit more uh over the years and of, of course they're they're quite good but i still love a good red wine i used to be a huge donk and my wife and i would go to we used to take before we had kids we would take a yearly trip to, and by the way, if you guys are listening that are, you know, in the, uh, you know, our, our key demographic and the, you know, on the younger end of our key demographic and that's kind of 24 to 50 age and you have, and you're married or something, but you don't yet have kids, take this as a lesson to you. Once you have kids, stuff like this becomes really, really hard. Um, but yeah, we used to go to Napa and get, like go to the wineries and stuff every year uh, around the time of her around the time of her birthday during the summer because she's a teacher and like for our first like four or five years going we went for like 10 straight years and for our first four or five years going we were just such donks and we said at the tastings we didn't even want white wine i wanted big california reds i wanted big california cabs you know big just uh uh fruit forward just you know cherry bomb buttery rich full-bodied cab, right? I didn't even want rosés or any, like, I didn't want any pinots or, like, even merlots and stuff like that. It was like, I, like, I wanted cabs. I wanted Syrahs. If I was in certain, like, if I was in the Lodi area, I'd maybe want Zinfandels. Now, I still love California cabs, and I still have those big, big-bodied reds, like, like Byron's um, Argentinian and Chilean Malbecs. Still love those. But, as Byron was saying, man, it's the it's it's the oaky, buttery Chardonnays, especially from Napa and especially from the Carneros Appalachian within Napa. If I can get a like, if I had to pick one wine that I can drink for the rest of my life, it would be a Carneros Chardonnay. So buttery, so oaky. That taste of like pear, also with like caramel and toffee. It's just. I don't know. It's like to me, and 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 you can drink it without getting full, and without getting kind of snoozy and kind of feeling a little bit heavy. Um, you can drink it when it's hot outside for a nice, refreshing drink. So I love all kinds of wine, but if you ask me red wine or white wine, and I can only choose one, I'm going to choose white, and it's going to be a Napa Chardonnay, more specifically one from the Carneros uh, Appalachian there as. Um, as at the, kind of at the bottom of the um, at the bottom of the Napa Valley, wherever you got to go underneath it on the south part of the valley to get over into Sonoma, 
that 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 appellation is called Car- Carneros, and that's where the best Chardonnays in the world. Well, it's are. good too because it doesn't stain your teeth. It no, look like no, you have lipstick right. on your teeth in the first five minutes of having a, a glass. I'm glad you brought up those Syrahs and those Zinfandels because those are those are two I've really learned to like as well. <clears throat> you know, it's funny though. I thought of you the other day because. Uh, my brother's good friend, uh, he's a very high-powered attorney here in Dallas, Texas, lives down in Highland Park, and he he grew up with a lot of exposure to wine, and he's currently, he's already a, like early-stage sommelier, but he's working on progressing through that those levels, and uh, my brother was telling me of all the wines, he, his friend, who's actually also a maniacal fantasy player, member of Roster Watch Nation, it's Taylor, and he's a listener on SiriusXM. He's real preoccupied with his fantasy baseball drafts right now. He was just texting me the other day. Uh-huh. But he he's, <laughs> he has, when it all comes down to it, he says his favorite wines by far have become the French wines. And it made me think of you because you said your dad, who was you know the foremost wine expert in in yep. in your circle uh you said he had he told you that he had developed the love for that you said it was kind of a dusty old palate for those french wines yeah yeah no i mean if and people could think i'm a donkey maybe like and you know, i could look back at this podcast like 10 years from now or something like that when my palate is adjust has shifted you know to where like if i had a podcast 10 years ago where i said i go to napa valley and I tell them like take these fucking white wines off of my tasting, uh, off off of my tasting flight. All I want is the reds, and that's what everybody should do. I'd look back at that. I'd be like, dude, I was such a fucking donk. I can't believe I ever said that. And maybe that's what maybe that's the next stage in the development of my palate is maybe to start to like these 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 French these French wines and these true you know Bordeaux these 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 true not you know not of the Bordeaux varietals of course, but these true actual Bordeaux wines. I just don't. I, I, to me, they just—I don't know what it is. They're like, like you said, they're—they're they're a little more dusty. They taste to me a little bit more thin, a lot less jammy. They—they—they—they they, 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 like—they don't have the legs on them. I just—I—I I don't like. To me, it's just a—I never got why my dad loved them so much. But I, I do agree that like all the best kind of sommeliers in the world and the kind of people who can who actually go through that go through that rigorous process of testing and and to be able to get to even to be like a level two uh, sommelier you have to be able to like not only smell a wine and be be able by the smell not just to tell the varietal but also be able to tell where it's from and stuff like that i mean you have to know your shit and that's not even to be a master sommelier, of which there are only there are less than I believe less than a hundred in the whole world. That's just to kind of be the the like the middling sommelier, which I'm guessing is what your brother's friend is going for. So he he has a more sophisticated palate than I do. So I don't know, like, but the French wine that's something I'm still like, I'm still kind of waiting on it. Like I I, I maybe it's a developed taste. I don't know. Um. All right. Here's the next one. This comes from our guy Mr. DX on Twitter. I'm not going to answer Baron von Ironcock's next question because this is a question about whether they, the Browns should take Barkley or Chubb at 1.04. I think we already sort of addressed that. Um, Mr. DX, what was the genesis of you guys getting a show on Sirius XM radio? Byron? Did, did we answer the one about Barkley and Chubb or was that the Giants question we answered? Well, there was a Cleveland Browns question about what to do at 1.04, and I think that – I think. Well, I don't know. Here, 
do you want to answer Baron von Ironcock's question? Yeah, I think it's an interesting topic. I mean, okay, so we'll get to we'll get to Mr. DX's after this about how he got on Sirius in a minute. He says he thinks uh, taking Barkley at one point oh four could be a mistake. Would they not benefit more from trading one point oh four to Buffalo or Miami and grabbing both of the Chubs? Um, so they're saying maybe take take Nick Chubb later, Bradley Chubb at the beginning. I don't know, man. I mean, for, um, for some reason, I don't know anything definitive, but the my senses tell me that Saquon to the Browns at fours, for some reason, feels a little less likely to me. Although Bradley Chubb very well could be overkill since you've already got, you know, Miles uh, Garrett there. And then if you think about Duke Johnson, and I, you have to think that's a player they still want want to play and if if you've got that piece in play you don't necessarily need a guy like Saquon that can handle the whole load you can start looking at maybe somebody like a Nick I mean Nick Chubb a player of that ilk would be a really nice match with a guy like Duke Johnson so I think they've got some play there and maybe it does feel like the running back is becoming a little bit less likely even though Alex and I would probably tell you you know what the hell are you thinking get your quarterback get Saquon Barkley and let's just get this thing on on the move the genesis of the uh, what you know the genesis of the um, si- the Sirius XM radio show. Well, you can tell that story. You're the, I mean, you basically you were yeah, the one I mean, who we, did the initial yeah. shoehorning. Yeah. Well, here's the thing: we had a radio show here in Austin that was actually and ended up being simulcast all up and down the I-35 corridor on Sunday mornings, kind of leading up to roster lock where we would take phone calls and just do the roster watch show, right? With me and Byron and the trash man. And it was so fucked up, man. When we first started that show, we had to pay to be on the air. And we didn't have a product we were selling. We didn't have anything. We're just like, you know, maybe one day we'll be able to, you know, be able to do something and make this, uh, make this a actual you know, make this an actual business or, you know, make it a, you know, a, a career out of it, whatever. But we didn't know what we were doing. We just want, we love fantasy. We wanted a fantasy show. This was back in like 2011, something like that. And then eventually that radio station was the local ESPN affiliate. Eventually they, the show got popular. Like I said, it got picked up in other markets and everything. By the end, we didn't have to pay for the show, but we weren't really getting paid for it. Um, and it was a, it was the kind of thing where, we it got to a point where we'd sort of re we were on from all the way from up in Waco to all the way down in San Antonio. So basically, I mean, and from that that San Antonio station broadcast basically all the way down to the border. So we we, we on Sunday mornings we own the I thirty five corridor basically all the way from Mexico all the way up to almost Dallas because that Waco station would reach probably to halfway between Waco and Dallas. So. We we felt that we kind of reached a critical mass here, and we got in contact with the folks at SiriusXM um, about opportunities with them. At the time, they weren't really exploring anything with new talent, but the program director, Matt Deutsch, was impressed with what we had been able to do and the fact that we had just been doing this, and we understood things like what a show sheet was and what a show clock was and what a live read was and everything like that. And um, We were just able to get a shot. I think our first show that we ever got on Sirius I don't remember, Byron. Wasn't our first time slot just super late at night on a Friday? 
I think it was. Maybe some of the people out there know, rem- remember better than I, mean, I, I do. I can't believe. I think it's but, been like six years on Sirius XM or something at this point. It goes back a long uh, time. Yeah. I was thinking it was a late night Saturday show, but that sounds about right. It was either late night Saturday, late night. I mean, we weren't off until one in the morning. And we, it was, yeah. And then it's just as we've gotten better and, and grown, we've gotten more and more airtime there. And, Looking forward to even more this year. So, well, don't you remember? Don't you? That every- don't you remember when we were having to sneak into the building to broadcast? I mean, it was just such from a Sirius fuck, XM, and then we would have to turn back around and go back at seven a.m. to do the local show. And we had it was like a that's it was like happened. a game. It was like we, a game of doing a mouse trap getting into that building at night. Well, because what ha- what happened was like our they turned off our key cards and they didn't work, and so we had to like. We literally had to find a way to sneak into the goddamn place, and we somehow found a way to sneak in, um, and, and be able to broadcast unbelievably from the local the ESPN Austin studios here. And it just turned out that we were having to do that. They weren't giving us any support with that, but they were still wanting us to do the Austin show for free. And then one morning, we just didn't show up for the local show anymore. <laughs> and like I felt bad for that because, um, you know, for the last few years they did you know, support us and give us the ISDN line that we needed to get the Sirius XM show up and going. But by then our, our audience had grown on Sirius XM. We had bigger fish to fry and we felt like giving them that program for free for three or th- three to four years was more than enough, especially considering that we had to pay for that. Pay for well, it. Yeah, and then they put those other fantasy guys on after us and we're just, it just didn't, oh, it yeah, didn't yeah, make yeah. any well, sense. Th- that was the final straw. Is, is is whenever there's a show that came on right after us with these guys that were real donks that didn't do any it, hard well, work. Well, it was a real like nepotism situation with the channel. Yeah, it was guys who had like yeah guys that had radio shows on during the week and like guys who were producers there. They didn't know shit about. Fantasy, well, they saw what we were doing but, and they saw that it was getting traction and they wanted to try to move in and do it and they had some cozy relationships uh, inside there. You know, a co- you know, a few things stick out to me. Alex is a great hound dog for for the business for Roster Watch Nation. Well, Alex, did were you listening to the SiriusXM Fantasy Channel back in those days? Is Dude, that I, what? I, yeah, because yes, because I had just gotten. That's the time that I had just gotten a new car. At the time, and with it, it was my first time I ever got a car with a Sirius radio in it, and for I got the first six months free when I bought the car. And so, of course, I put it on the Fantasy Channel. And, yeah, within, like, within a few days of listening to that channel, I was like, oh, this is a whole channel about fantasy sports. We need to get on this channel, you know? So that's when I started hound-dogging about it. Yeah, I'll, I'll never forget. And so Alex is a great – he's a former recruiter. He's great at sourcing and escalating. And then when it's time for nuts and bolts and dollars and cents, he, he tends to like to <laughs> – Hand it to the price. Turn it king. over to me and <laughs> put me on the phone with Matt Deutsch. It's like you say, to to – Two pricing kings on the phone with each other, basically. And but Matt Deutsch, I mean, he's a real fast talking New Yorker, and he's. I, I've even got to. I've even got to go to the uh, passenger seat when he steps over to to uh, to take the wheel, man. But uh, we had a good pitch for them about how football drove the bus, and I'll never forget that was like the thing. And then they told us they were going to refer to us as uh, the little show that could and their own personal little pet project, and they thought there was enough there that they could mold us into being good broadcasters, and that if necessary, they would just have weekly, you know, meetings with us, et cetera, to kind of, you know, keep us improving. And then we, I don't think we ever got a call again for any kind of weekly meeting after that. One here and there, maybe. No, no, 
No, yeah, not at all, not at all. And but you know, but but not to say that Deutsch hadn't been awesome with you know, hadn't been awesome with us with just giving us helpful tips and pointers, and he's been a real, uh, you know, he's just been really awesome, man. We we really appreciate everything that they've done for us at, at SiriusXM Fantasy Sports Radio, and hope you guys will listen and, to the off season show and, on SiriusXM. Uh, Sundays, three to five p.m. Eastern every, every week. It was Rob Tuzay on that initial phone call to our executive producer at SiriusXM, and he's also been extremely Amazing. gracious yeah. and very kind, and just an absolute pleasure to work with. So we always want to give Rob uh, his his due and his thank you very much. I want to start wrapping this up, but I know that Eagles fan thirty five thirty five had a question that he was maniacal about getting asked, and all of the guys from the Banana Hammock League on our listener league said that we would never answer it, and uh, I told them that we would. So let's get to that one. Um, just I, here's one from Keith Oaks. Just quickly, how do you like? How real do you think all the OBJ trade stuff is? I mean, I, I don't think he'll get traded. Are there some talks going on? Pro, you know, Dave Gettleman floated a weather balloon. That's all. That's all. That's all these guys did. They floated a weather balloon and taking a temperature. I mean, I, Odell kind of has, you know partially put him in this situation with the video and stuff that's come out. But you know they've kind of re they've tried to re-leverage that back against them. You know, Dave Gettleman said that he only saw the pizza in there because he's such a hungry <laughs> dude. But, you know, they've definitely made sure that that video has made its way back, you know, talks of those videos have made it back into the ethos a little bit. So you know I don't know. I mean, it seems Seems tough to trade a guy like, I mean, you don't want to look back and say that you traded Jerry Rice, right? And I think it's a real possibility with Odell Beckham that that's the situation. So, you know, we'll see. I, I don't, I, I can't imagine it'll happen. I think it's going to take two first round picks. And I don't know if. Which two first round picks? <laughs> Who in the. It's like Bruce Murray says, which two first round picks? I mean, are we talking. A high pick this yeah, year I mean, and, one, I mean, and, a, and a pick next year? Or are we talking, you know, I'd have to go look. Who, yeah, you know, I think that I think that both, well, of, both of the Browns off, picks. What if somebody offered him some? What if somebody offered him? Yeah. What if somebody just offered him a first round pick this year? Let's just say for the sake of argument, 16 right in the middle and then a first rounder next year. Is Odell Beckham worth that considering the contract he's going to have you're, you're, you're going to have to give him? What if you what, immediately upon what signing? if you were the Browns and you gave them the number four pick and Josh Gordon? <laughs> I don't. I mean, or the num- I, the number just, one pick and Josh Gordon, and the Giants have one and two at that point. What if you were the Chargers and you gave him your first round pick and Mike Williams? I think that that'd be an interesting deal. I mean, I have to look at the Chargers. You know, books they've got Bosa to pay him. Keenan's under contract for a while. Yeah, the, I, the Chargers are probably a team to get away with it. Actually, I've just heard some talk about the Chargers because that dude they're fighting. They're 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 gonna have to do. That's the battle of Los Angeles, dude. They got to get some fans in the stands. Um, okay, uh, let's see. So up next at Royal Slade, nineteen sixty-five had two questions. I can answer this one quickly. Do you guys follow or play golf? In case, unless things have changed with your life a whole lot, Byron, I can just say pretty much no for both of us, right? 
I, I'd, I'd like to get back into uh, there. I've had times in my life where I've gotten a little bit into golf, gotten kind of good stuff, and just it's kind of gotten away from me. I have clubs. Um, if I played right now, I would embarrass myself. And I, I just the only th- reason I follow it is just for DFS. I'll throw in a DFS lineup for you know some of the bigger tournaments, but that's that's it for me. Yeah, I've seen Alex hit the ball. He's definitely better than I am. But you know what? Golf is something that continues to stay perpetually on my to to do list. It's one of these things that mine too. Because you know why? I'm an I mean I'm an outdoorsman. I love being outside, and you know I I I just would like to at least to be be able to go and be functional. It's fun to be out on these nice courses. I'm not sure it's anything I'll ever turn into a real avid pastime for me, but. Definitely sooner than later, and it's on my list. Hopefully for later in this off season, just go out. I think so. Go too. out, yeah. get a few I lessons, so and just learn how to just not make a total fool of yourself. And that's really all that I I want to be able to do. And as far as watching, I'm if, uh, every once in a while I'll on a Sunday snoozer. I enjoy laying around and watching a good golf tournament. Like the Masters, something I could definitely tune into a little bit. And you know, I understand that Tiger has been playing a little bit better lately, so that's a little bit of a storyline that is uh, back up and running. So, you know, Jordan Spieth, right here from Dallas, actually one of my cousins, played golf with him at Jesuit. So got a lot of fans around these parts, man. Let's see. Uh, we'll just we'll, we'll get just a few more of these. Um, oh, and then Royal Slade's other question. Uh this is a two-part one. Your favorite beer and is picking Zay Jones in round 19 or 20 of some MFL 10s crazy? Our favorite beer is Miller Lite um, in the old man white cans. I can say that definitively. I also really love Shiner Bach. I think those are the two best beers. Um, Byron, what about picking Zay Jones in round 19 or 20 of, of MFL 10s? I mean... Are you still just completely pants My off? My pants are with, basically with, with totally Zay off of Zay Jones. But, you know, I suppose around 19 or 20, that's that's where you could think about getting a little frisky. All right, two more questions. Uh, we'll get to Eagles fans 35, 35's last and make him wait. Kevin C., this is at KC Tilta. Can you tell us about a time when the trash man emerged from his filthy, repulsive, and loathsome hovel to identify someone not on your radar and the guy blew up? How did he react? Was he gracious, maniacal, or just disgusting? Thanks. I know the exact time I'm thinking of. Whenever he went off the rails to a caller on the Sirius XM show. For an Adam Thielen super the, monster? Yes. He, he, this dude was not even asking about Adam fucking Thielen. And Adam Thielen was a guy who he wasn't even asking about. He was asking about, you know, two other wide receivers. And we gave him the answer, and, and Trashman was like, well, you know, apparently he didn't even like that. He thought that there could be a guy maybe on waivers like an Adam Thielen. I believe this was in 20, yeah, it was in 2016, week 16 at Green Bay. And he figured that Thielen might be on waivers uh, in this league. And he kept saying, like, but, I, but like, I'd really go Adam Thielen. You know, as we kept trying to hang up with this guy, and the guy's like, Thielen? Like, you know, like, what? You, like I didn't ask about Thielen. Like, and we're just like, trash, man, this is great. He didn't ask about Adam fucking Thielen. Like, what is your deal with all this? You know, like, and, um, of course, Adam Thielen goes off to catch 12 balls for 202 yards and two touchdowns for the epic uh, 32.6-pointer in standard and the uh, – I'm sure everybody will remember the 44-pointer in, um, in, in PPR. And the damnedest thing was 
it was it was the championship weekend in fantasy, and the guy took Trash Man's advice, and he played Thielen, and he won. And um, also a bunch of people used him in DFS and and won on a cheap salary that week. And was Trash Man gracious about it? Absolutely not. He was maniacal and, and petulant as always, saying saying I told you so. It just it always it always and, hurts real bad when the trash man gets you like that too. Well, especially when the Adam Thielen was not even a person, not even a player who this guy asked about, and we literally shouted trash man down and told him this is such garbage that he said that he's giving recommend. He didn't ask about Thielen. Why are we talking about Adam fucking Thielen? But. Well, to get out, um, Al- it gets Alex yeah, on such tilt when he goes off the reservation from our rankings live on air with just some, with yeah, just some, I mean, something that he can characterize as just a a recent uh, late breaking, disgusting feeling emanating from his guts. Some kind of flippant, flippant thing that he says. He's like, "No, I'd actually, I'd actually start Jerron. I think I'd start Jerron Brown over, you know." Uh, I'm just trying to think of you know some kind of decent wide receiver. You're like trash man, you, you know. have him ranked 20 like, spots and, lower and in you your spend, rankings. And you feel like trash man. Yes, you have him ranked. At, why then is in, in our cumulative rankings? Do you have Jerron Brown ranked at 45, and the guy that you're saying to start him over ranked at 13? It doesn't make any sense. Yes, and we berate him for shit like this, and that's what we did about the Adam Thielen thing. It was the Adam Thielen mega monster. It was the it was unbelievable what what what, what happened there on that radio show. So that was that one. All right, finally, we, we got to wrap this up. Let's get to Eagles fan 35, 35 question. He has a, uh, two of them actually. Okay. So it's a 10 team PPR one keeper with no penalties. Do you keep Devonte Freeman or Kareem hunt? That's easy for me. You keep Kareem hunt, right? Oh yeah. Uh, note question number two, a 12 team, two keeper, one round penalty, super flex PPR league. So you can only keep one QB, and you can't keep your first-round pick. So who do you want to keep? Watson with the 14th, Michael Thomas with his first, Mark Ingram with his fourth, Josh Gordon with his 16th, Cooper Cup with his 10th, Kelsey for his third. So you're definitely keeping Deshaun Watson with your 14th in a super flex. This is such a cheat sheet team. <laughs> That's awesome. He got this with the people with the uh, Superflex PPR cheat sheet, and then I think it comes down to I'm not going to keep my I don't know. Would you keep Michael Thomas with with your first round pick since since this is a keep one QB only and you can't keep your first round pick? I mean, you're you're guaranteed a really good player with Michael Thomas. I mean, I think he's a yeah, top so five penal- top five ish six ish receiver in the NFL. Just pure pure evaluation. Or do you like? But I think that Mark Ingram for the seventh is probably the best. Oh yeah, that's big time value. If Al, all it yeah, takes so, is, I mean, it could go either way. But if Alvin Kamara misses any time, it's a monster for Mark Ingram. Well, let's pray that Alvin Kamara does not miss any time, as he is my 14th round keeper in our most competitive home league in this coming season. That will bring an end to this episode of the Roster Watch Podcast. Again, guys, we love you. If you love the content here, you love the podcast, please show us you love the podcast. Give us that five-star rating and review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever it is that you listen. And please go to rosterwatch.com. Get a pro membership. So until next time, for Byron Lambert, for the Trash Man, for the Robot Genius, and all of Roster Watch Nation, this has been the Roster Watch Podcast, brought to you by rosterwatch.com. We will see you next time. <laughs>